Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Max and Julian Weber, brothers, co-founders of cool uh, products like Storito, a scheduling solution that enables businesses to create, edit, and schedule stories for Instagram from their browser, which is super, and Audiocado an intuitive platform that helps creators to turn their podcasts into videos. And that hits home. I immediately went to try the product uh, when I learned about it. So yeah, welcome to the show and uh, excited to have you here. Yeah, uh, thanks for having us. Sure, anytime. Uh, So yeah, well, uh, family business, huh? So let's let's get into your backgrounds, maybe a little bit. Max, let's let's go with you first. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm into startups since 2009. Worked uh, for a few since then. And then roughly mid 2016, I co-founded uh, the company behind uh, Storito. And yeah, we spent the first two years trying to create a product in the virtual reality um, space. Yeah, but this market uh, yeah, didn't went well. As everyone, everybody knows. And yeah, then in mid 2018, we uh, did a pivot uh, and credits to Rito. And yeah, since then, that's our main business. And yeah, I don't know, one and a half years later, we started also Audicado as a side business. I'm uh, mainly a developer, but I'm also an yeah, entrepreneur for software. I actually joined in uh, two, two, two and a half, two years ago, two and a half years ago. And I'm not a co-founder. I'm just, I, I was a hired gun for the marketing offense. So uh, yeah, and I'm doing this since two years here and joined my brother. So it's then becoming a family business. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's working great so far. Okay, wonderful. Well, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting to see how families uh, work together. I've had a, a few um family businesses here on the podcast and it's really interesting how to like to navigate their relationship uh at work and and outside but uh anyway uh let's uh yeah i did a quick intro but it would be great to learn a bit more about both products and just just the background and the inspiration behind them because they're quite different uh so let's let's maybe start with storito first that was the first one, right? What is the timeline yeah. here? Yeah. yeah. So let's start with um, Storito. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Storito, uh, back then, Instagram just yeah copied uh, Snapchat and um, created Instagram stories. And back then, we just noticed there was a huge demand to automatize uh, this. And since now it's also still not probable except for Storito and a few others to fully automatize or prepare your Instagram stories so that it gets auto-posted later on. And yeah, I mean, we did a big pivot from uh, virtual reality stuff uh, to social media thing. But yeah, it was a perfect match also that it was a SaaS business and that brought us uh, very quickly steady revenue and yeah, Audiocado, yeah, we always was looking for other opportunities to also get more growth and so on. And Audiocado was mainly meant as backup for Storito. I mean, you're depending on a third party. So anytime Instagram can say, ha, I don't like stories anymore. Uh, let's go with reels 100%. And then we would have no product anymore. And Audicado was the goal was really to create something which is not dependent on a third party. And yeah, but we can get into some mistakes we made with this decision later on, I think. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, so many, so many stories from founders of tools that are dependent on third, third party especially like social media platforms, that's just uh, the resilience that you guys have. It's uh, really admirable. And uh, yeah, since you started talking about the mistakes and, uh, you know, uh, I know that's what everyone wants. That's why everyone's here. So I know that Aduikado kind of became a bit of a sidekick uh, at the moment. 
So how did that happen? Uh, what was the reason? And are you still keeping it? Because it's it's a cool tool. I mean, it's it's small, uh, but it has its niche, right? And again, I tried it. I was I was very excited. And uh, we do have video version of this podcast, which makes it a little uh, less relevant, maybe. But for those who don't, this is super cool. Uh, and yeah, so are you still keeping it? Are you still working on it as it's you know a sidekick, or you have? big plan yeah so at the moment it's really just uh keeping it alive where people don't have enough time to uh, proper shut it down because uh, keeping it alive is uh, less work and yeah i really like the comparison when you create a company and a product uh, that's kind of like a leaky bucket so on the one hand you need to pour in more water so meaning acquiring customers via different channels and on the other hand, you somehow need to find ways to fix all the holes uh, in the bucket. So that you, so AKA preventing churn. So then, yeah, you are just really busy uh, just doing this for Grito. And if you create a second product, like we did, uh, speaking of the mistakes with Audicado, then you just have a second leaky bucket, which is much smaller, which also demands your attention. And it makes way less money. And yeah, that's also a mistake we did several times within Storito with several features. So you can for sure say, okay, let's support Instagram direct messages or whatever. But uh, when you just noticing, okay, to do stories right, you are fully busy, then you shouldn't, uh, you should say no to all other opportunities. And the, from the marketing perspective, the customers didn't have any intersection. So we couldn't sell like all you can do to Dorito uh, customers mainly. So we would have been better like bringing something uh, into Storito, which makes their uh, life easier. And then we upgrade more customers from there. So it was completely different markets and they had nothing to do with each other. So it was, would be clever if some other company would have done it and not us. Right. Okay. So we're we're talking about the focus here, right? Well, let's double down on that because, well, I went, because uh, a couple of years ago, I just rem remembered when I learned about Cerrito, I was like, oh, a couple of years ago, I would learn about you guys. And that would be so perfect because I remember at some point, I really, really wanted to automate my stories and it was not possible. And it was like, oh, crap. <laughs> but like, I just have to like do it from scratch every time. But yeah, and and now when you just like go into Google and start uh, asking it, like, what is the product that does it? Uh, there is a bunch of videos and it's all Julian. And <laughs> yeah, so you double down on content. <laughs> um, and um, I guess, well, videos is something that you actively do. So how did you start doing it? Why did you decide that this is the way to go? Well, I was brought on and I already had my own YouTube channel and um, for SEO is quite easy on YouTube because uh, everyone can write a blog post. You, you just have to type, right? But setting up a studio, having a microphone, having a camera and so on, um, that's kind of difficult to do, right? And a lot of people are camera shy. YouTube is also a search engine. So people go there and search the stuff. They also search on Google and even Google presents like your your videos on their on their uh, first page on Google. So that's that's why starting with a video is kind of cool because you you will encounter less competition. And of course, then we did also some some content landing pages. We actually saw this in other startups, for example, Vidio. They did like really cool landing pages on every search term they want to rank for, which was kind of nice because it wasn't like an old school blog post. And then we thought, I don't know if you know the term, like a good artist uh, copy and great artist steal. So we kind of took this idea, but then we took it a little further because I was a one-man show marketing uh, marketing person at the beginning. Um, and I thought of like technologies you can use to like just have a little bit more scale. And that's why we then integrated uh, deepl.com as like a translation solution. So we translated all our blog posts into 24 different languages. Um, that worked really well, like having a landing page with the video 
And we even took it then one step further and also bought voiceovers for my own videos. And we um, then had videos in it's Italian, in Spanish, in Dutch, in even in Arabic and Chinese, we, we did the, those videos. And yeah, if you just pump out a lot of content, you will get lucky at some point. Because in some countries, it will rank perfectly and in some, it will take more time and you have to push it a little, a little bit further. But that's how we did it, like first video, then blog posts, and then translating both of them. Uh, and that actually got us a lot of reach. So that was cool. All right. And like I said, when, when you go to Google and, and you say, hey, I want to post my stories from browser, that, you know, it's all you guys. And I haven't tried it in Russian, and I know you have a translation in Russian, uh, but I'm, I'm going to try it right after our podcast. Okay, since you started talking about uh, well, growth and uh, what kind of channels uh, you're leveraging, there is another one I know that you're really big uh, with is Google Ads, which is, I don't know, for some would be very controversial. Like we don't necessarily uh, believe that uh, that it's something that w we should go with, for example, for a lot of our products. So how did you stumble upon this? How did you choose to go that route? Actually, I would disagree. I would highly encourage you, every founder, to test their product with the Google Ads because it's, it takes a lot of time, like, ranking your content. Like, you have to write it, you have to build backlinks, you have to have your studio, record it, cut it, upload, etc. right? You have to do all that. And with Google Ads, it gives you the possibility to just put, uh, like, put traffic on your page, right? You just buy it, and then there's traffic. And we actually did that when I joined first with Audiocado, like it was stumbling, like we had some subscribers, but not significant, uh, anything significant. Um, and then I bought like, just Google ads for it and it took off. Like really, it was just a hockey stick growth. Uh, and of course it's expensive. For us, it was good because we had already Storito running. We could pour money from there into Audiocado. And yeah, before spending like a year on content and hoping that someone gives you some SEO love there, like Google will rank you, uh, you can just get this money and uh, like, because your time is also worth money, right? So you can just yeah. test your offer, whatever you do with a simple Google ad. Like you need a page, landing page, a sign up, and then just buy traffic. That's for the start. And right now we actually, for all these landing pages we built, we buy traffic from all over the world because this is also automated with AI now, like dynamic campaigns for experts. Uh, and those pages get backlinks because first we buy the traffic from Google, then people share the link and suddenly you have a backlink. So even like it's complementary, like you, you have your organic SEO and then you buy a bunch of traffic from Google when you can afford it, of course, but it just elevates the growth like significantly. Uh, I totally agree. And it's also perfect strategy to getting started because you can buy ads uh, from Google, Facebook, et cetera, from day one. And if your product is not uh, performing there, so nobody is buying it, then uh, you don't ha need to waste more time on it because, I mean, it's maybe paying more money to acquire a customer in comparison to the lifetime value because you're... Uh, yeah, product is still in infancy and uh, needs more additions, etc. But at least you can test if there's a market and if people are interested in what you're building. And so that's the perfect shortcut for every first-time founder or even senior founders to just buy Google Ads uh, and Facebook Ads and whatever to get started. But if if do it for the first time don't wonder like it, it is expensive like you're right like you you you're better yeah. off having a, like a content team and so on but it's also nice to know how much you have to pay to get a customer like we definitely know how much we pay right now to get a customer and that's also good for like evaluate evaluating how much you can grow how much you can need to spend to grow more and, and that's good insights from from the get-go and, and usually when you start you're not good at content creation like except you haven't background before that right but so, so I, I do like Google ads a lot because you don't have to create any video like TikTok ads or something. You need to do a video, which is performing well organically already to do then an ad on it. But Google ads is just plain text, right? And it gives you traffic right away. So it's fairly easy to get started. And, and as Julian said, you can really uh, use the trick to 
really serve um, different languages. So U.S. companies uh, used to really ignore search traffic on in other languages. And even for the most expensive search terms uh, on Google Ads, you can really often buy them cheap in other languages. Oh, yeah, right. Absolutely. So uh, talking about the market and, and your your ideal customer, how did you find them in the first place? How did you find your product market fit would help you? Because that's what a lot of early stage companies and uh, first-time founders struggling with. How do you work for you? Yeah, so essentially with Torito, we was just lucky. There was essentially one blog post which ranked very, very well in the beginning. And uh, that brought us a lot of signups. Uh, of course, the competition a year later or so, it was not performing so well, like in the beginning, of course. I can say, so for Audiocado, uh, we just looked into the market, what tools are there which don't have a third-party dependency, which have a huge intersection with the skills we already have uh, in creating products of this kind. And then just uh, look at the products which are in the market. You know there's already a market when there are successful uh, products and then just uh, create a product in this space, maybe in a niche. So of course you shouldn't compete with Canva or Adobe or whatever, but there might, might be still special workflows, maybe for podcasters, maybe for content creators, which really needs a custom solution and yeah, just talk and get the first five customers, do it for free and just try to do a good job and provide value to them. And uh, if this works, you can scale it. And you have to also think, like thinking of audiences, uh, how, how rich they are, right? For Storito, we're kind of lucky because of a lot of brands and agency owners buy us because they don't want to pay for their employees to work on the weekend where they have to post the stories manually on their phone, right? So a lot of people are like B2B customers buy us and they, they kind of have like a, a sticky, like low churn rates also because they stay longer because they, once they go through whole, all the process of, of signing all the papers and, and really convincing everyone, this is a great tool, then they, they kind of stick to this. So that's, that's like thinking of, of this is essential. Like who are you serving and how much money do they have and how long will they stay? What's the stickiness of your business, right? And what for me in the meantime is really an important detail so that you really try to solve hard problems that you try really to do your thing so i mean founder product fit is also very important and that you really try to do it for decades so uh, think about if your product will still be there in 10 years so for Strido, for example it may be that uh, there aren't any instagram stories anymore in 10 years Maybe TikTok took over uh, everything or whatever, uh, but there are definitely markets which you know that they will exist in 10 and 20 years and you will get so much better in comparison to what you can accomplish in the short term. And I hear Jeff Bezos once said, so what's the best way to predict the uh, future? And he was saying, okay, rather think about what will not change. So in the case for Amazon, People in 10 years, they still like a huge catalog of products with a good price and one day of delivery, and that will def definitely stay the same. And But on the other hand, you also need to look at the technology. So for example, that's also one of the reasons why we do not put more work in Audiocado because uh, the competition is so strong in the meantime, because uh, due to all the AI tools they are adding. And if you look at what Canva, Adobe and the like are doing at the moment, it's just not reasonable to compete against this as a small team, except for if you really, really specialize on one task in this AI uh, space. But yeah, play the long game. All right. Yeah, I think that's a great advice. And uh, there are two things that you mentioned that I, I kind of want to take a little further. First one is uh, selling to bigger customers, and second one is the team. Well, since you started selling to bigger customers, how did it affect the product and how did it affect the sales process as well? Because, well, you have probably, that's just my assumption, 
uh, added a few salespeople or a sales motion there, uh, someone they, they can talk to? Or are you trying, did you somehow manage to make it self-service for, for the enterprises? This episode is sponsored by Rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com course, rewardful.com course, and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. It's still self-service. Um, I, I worked at a different company before, which was exclusively B2B. And uh, they actually had the problem that they had all these salespeople, but people expect the sales process the way they experience this in B2C. Like having a web page, signing up, and then having a tutorial. Because they don't want to jump on a meeting. They just want to see the tool, try it out, and then decide themselves if they want to buy it. Right? So some bigger companies approached us, and we still have some negotiation with them to do. But like the onboarding process is kind of the same. Like when they browse, it's it's a person in front of the computer, so that's that doesn't isn't a big difference. And um, but you're right. Like the bigger they are, then they want some special treatment, some some discounts. But um, we kind of automated this also with like a quantity discount. So we said like, okay, if you buy ten, you get twenty percent off. If you buy twenty, uh, twenty, you get so and so much discount off. Um, and we kind of want to stick to that. I mean, Max, you have the story of the NBA calling up, right? <laughs> Maybe you want to talk. I mean, your biggest problem in the beginning and still nowadays is just the lack of time. And yeah, once uh, someone from the NBA uh, was requesting us to regarding a demo call and so on. But beforehand, I did so many demo calls with Uber and a lot of other big companies and I just rejected it because it, yeah, you just have too many fires at once. And yeah, we then tried to, yeah, delegate the stuff, but until you onboard someone and so on, it also takes time. So yeah. And, uh, we are, as Julian said, we are all in regarding, uh, yeah, however you like to call it product led growth or here a low touch sales model. So. We couldn't just, a small team, many tasks becomes really unhandleable soon when, when you have to do it manually. So one example, for example, is uh, the invoicing we do. So that's one thing we do for bigger customers, uh, but due to the platform we are using, they working on the API will maybe released in the next couple of months. But before that, we didn't have an option to automatize this and it still takes a lot of time to follow up and see if the money has arrived. When do I have to recharge them? So we try to really um, automate everything. Yeah, I, I usually have to send like sometimes 20 different emails back and forth with one person, like with one enterprise to get the invoice paid, right? And then I have to call the developer to upgrade their plan and so on. It's like, you don't want to do that because you have to think about like, are you an enterprise software selling to enterprises or do you have like a normal software everyone can use, but enterprise people want to buy it, right? So in Storito, like an influencer, a, a small brand, a big brand, they can all use it. So we don't have enterprise pricing, right? But if we would now hire a lot of salespeople, they are expensive. They eat in your margin. Like you don't want to have like three or four salespeople on your payroll role because they eat up all your margin, right? So you really have to be clever about can I, I mean, if we could have enterprise plans, we, we would make it. And maybe in the future, we will diverse, diversify somehow. But if you like a small startup uh, or a small SaaS company of like five to seven people, we usually, 
then you really have to think about what are you actually doing? Like you, you, you need to make a sale with someone, right? Fast because you don't have upfront so much capital, right? So yeah, I, I don't want to, I wouldn't get into enterprise SaaS company without a lot of runway to, because it, it takes a long time from our experience to really get the money on your account then. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to to another founder uh, and uh, he has a developer tool and he's been working on it for, I think, 15 years or something. And he's the, the only person, like he's the solo founder and there is nobody else on his team. And he says, and he, sometimes he sells to big enterprises and he's like, he, he's trying to automate everything. And he's like, well, there there is an option to just pay with your credit card. But some enterprises would still come to him and, and they're like, well, can we get an invoice? And he's like, I hate invoices so much that now if anyone asks me to give them an invoice, I make the price, I think he said like 20 times higher. So like, there is your hack. And th this is also exactly the thing you should be doing because it's yeah. uh, really driving the focus to the wrong things, uh, to the manual task, and that's not the right thing to do in the context of software. And I mean, many products, if they sell to enterprises, they, they are the exact same product, but uh, they have the single sign-on, which uh, are demanded by many enterprise customers. And then they charge just uh, 10x price. That yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a lot of like a lot of teams are struggling with that. So I think that's very relevant to talk about it. But since you already mentioned the team, how big is the team or how small is the team? I know that you're working with freelancers. That's also something I really want to discuss because uh, working with freelancers sometimes is challenging. There is, you know, the motivation that you have to bring to the table. There is, uh, you know, maybe a culture that, that you're already trying to build in the team. And then you're bringing a new a new person. I would assume you're not bringing a new person every time. There is maybe someone that works with you uh, from time to time that you know and who knows the product and you. But uh, that's just an assumption. So you tell me what is really happening. Um, so basically, uh, we turned into a remote company kind of overnight due uh, to the pandemic and also because some of us relocated around Cologne and yeah, and then we tried to hire the two freelancers, which worked uh, pretty well. Uh, one developer from Poland and one from France. Yeah, the, yeah, the collaboration and so on, it was all perfect, it was kind of like having employees and they exclusively focus on our product, but yeah, in the end, it kind of didn't work out because you, yeah, the one guy, he visited us two times, but yeah, you cannot really get a deep relationship, uh, when you don't meet regularly in some office or so. So we, for example, meet every Tuesday in Cologne, in our office. And one other major learning we made is that was also an overnight switch to use English for all the meetings. We were using it for all the uh, documentation and so on anyway. But yeah, still, when it's not your um, mother tongue, then it's just uh, you have 10 or 20% less capacity in your brain. and. Um, Nowadays, we all speak German uh, and it's then way more efficient to do meetings and so on. Yeah, that, that has to be a conscious decision. Like when you switch, when, for example, if you're a German startup or a German company, like hiring someone in English, like full-time, that, that I would give it some thought because then everyone needs to speak in English and people will mute themselves who are not comfortable speaking that. Um, so yeah, we, we really like, I, I don't think we will change, uh, to English until we like 15 or 20 people, because if we can hire someone in, in speaking German, like we will always do that. And you will be surprised. Like you will, you can find people in other countries for, for, let's say a little bit lower income. Like we had like one person from, from Ukraine and we didn't really look for that. I looked on LinkedIn people for customer support and she was speaking German and was from Ukraine and we we're like, okay. And then you have this for startups now, and this is kind of important. Like you, you have these advantages, like you, you can pay lower salary, but they do speak your mother tongue. So you, 
Because some people always go look for developers in, let's say, I don't know, India or Pakistan to get lower salaries. But you will be surprised that in other countries, you will also find people who speak your same language. So you, you don't necessarily, when you look abroad, you, you don't need to expect, they have the expectation that they only speak English. Some, some do speak your language. So that was nice. And we hire, like when you have like a repetitive task, like for example, for us, it's customer support. We directly hired someone there and we will always do so. I mean, we are in close contact, so we will know what the customers are saying. But this is like a full-time job, right? And now the next hire will be someone for customer success because you can't never do uh, enough of that. Uh, no. um, yeah, you, like everything repetitive you usually hire. And everything on the project base, for example, we had some UI changes. We hired like on Upwork, we hired a guy also from Ukraine for the UX design. And he was brilliant. Like he did a perfect job. And yeah, we didn't have to hire him for that. And so that, that worked right well quite well also. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting hug. And well, you know, uh, Ukrainian developers are are known for, for being pretty cool. And I mean, Polish, Russian, I don't know, somehow, what is with this area? Everyone's so talented in, in developing something, but okay, cool. Thank you for, for sharing that. I think one more very important thing that I wanted to to bring up as well. I know that you've made a big change in pricing and that was uh, a bit of a bumpy ride maybe if I'm if I may say. So what did you do? Let's let's just ease into it. What did you do first? How did you decide to do it in the first place? Because again, a lot of founders say, oh you just do it, you know, every three months, every two weeks, like whatever. Just play with it. And, and uh, yeah, for, and for some, it's just like, oh, it's life or death kind of situation. So we don't know. We, we're not sure if we were ever going to do that. So what was your take on it and what were the learning? I was coming into the company and I was kind of challenging the pricing because before Storito was charging per Instagram story post and they had like, you, you could buy packages for, of 100 story posts of 500 story posts and of 2000 story posts. And they were, but they were on a subscription. So when the month passed, they were gone and you get another hundred, right? So, and I was like, okay, there, there are between 100, 500, 200, 2000, there are like a lot of gaps. And to your question earlier, like who's your buying persona, right? Like for example, enterprise level companies, I was like thinking if I'm an owner of an agency and I have like, I don't know, 10 different brands I work for. I know I have 10 different brands and they all have one Instagram account. So like a C-level metric would be like my 10 Instagram accounts, right? But I wouldn't know how many story posts I need because how do how much do they post? Do they post two, three, five, ten? 10? I don't know, right? So that's why, I mean, you call it the value metric, how you want to price your product. And that's why we were challenging the approach because we want to serve like the the agency owner who knows how many accounts he has, right? So that's why we, we switched from paying per post to paying for one Instagram account and then having unlimited story posts because story posts are kind of limited by day anyhow because you never post more than, let's say, eight or 10 stories per account, right? So, and even a lot of customers appreciate that and it made the whole system of, of thinking very easy because we don't have to count story posts anymore. People weren't in, in before they weren't getting that their stories after one month, they got erased and you start from scratch because a lot of people thought it will add up. And you're right. Like we had a lot of confusion and to this day, we still have a little bit of a headache because you have to find then once you've found your value metric, you need to find the perfect price. And all I can say there is like start low and making it higher. Because once you have people paying a premium price on a subscription and then you make it lower, you eat in your own profits, right? Because they will find out and then they will go down. Finding the sweet spot, you, I don't know, you start at $10 and then at 15, 20, and you see how many sales you can make, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, we did it the other way around. <laughs> you have, you really have to get a, a lot of thoughts. You can always work with discounts also. But yeah, for us, like we, we're still working on this and it's it's like it's not something you'd want to break overnight and just do something. And and one last thing, which is cool for startups, like have a yearly plan on discounted because then you can always you will get a lot of cash up front. 
right? You can, you get 12 times the amount you usually get. So when you started having a yearly plan, you can generate a lot of cash and lower your churn rate because people won't leave the next 12 months because they're already paid. So yeah, because when I started, uh, Storita didn't had a, had a yearly plan then this time. That, that was also due to the lack of time. So, but it's really worth it to have a yearly plan, uh, from the get go. Yeah. And one other point there with the pricing is, so Julian and I spent roughly two months thinking about it. So just going from version one to now price pricing version two. And as Julian said, it was hopelessly complex, the old pricing. And also from a developer perspective, it created so much problems. Uh, and even today it creates problems because you have these legacy customers, they are still on the old pricing. So you still have to think about if everything works well on both pricing models. So spend a hell lot of time to get your value metric and your pricing right. And for example, with the... I mean, with charting per story post, you can compare it to charging when you uh, pick up the phone and you pay per minute or something like this. Nobody wants that. Everyone wants the flat rate because it's really hard to forecast uh, the stuff and you have to forecast it. It's at least like a business of our size because we don't have the money to say, okay, we send you an invoice and if you use 10,000 minutes then or story post, then we maybe get the money someday because it's all uh, auto generating costs on our end. But even on the customer side, it created really a lot of uncomfortable problems for them. So you have to focus the amount of story posts you need. And then you somehow at some point run out of story posts. And then, yeah, you kind of have an automation solution, but then you have to manually buy new stories and that's of course not what you want and then we invented this horrible story post packages where you can uh, buy story posts maybe uh, 100 for five dollars or whatever but this all gives you a headache and yeah that's why really start with a very simple pricing very simple value metric and also don't for example charge per feature so we Every feature is available on each plan. I mean, that's the whole reason for having a value metric, but when you pick the wrong value metric, like we did, then you also get into trouble. So, and you will always, you can't never make it perfect. There are always people who, who for whom it's too expensive or for too cheap. I mean, we have enterprise customers paying the same as a one person show, right? And you can, you can think about it, but as Max said, like you really have to think of, of when starting also from the technical perspective and the, the support perspective, like do people get it? Like you really show it to people and, or don't get too fancy, like get something out there, which is working for another company, right? So look, look around what they are doing. And if a lot of people doing it, it might be a good sign that you should do that too. Mm -hmm. Like don't reinvent the wheel, right? So yeah. And, and really, really don't make it too complicated because it just makes your life. It's the same like hiring more people, right? Do you want to hire more people? Because your life will get more complicated hiring more people, right? And maybe you make even less profit then because they, you have to pay them, right? And same with pricing. Like you, you shouldn't make it, make it too complicated because then you have to explain it multiple times in every call and people will challenge you all the time. And then that make, that just sucks. And one interesting insight is also we spend a lot of time thinking about the pricing table and so on, because we always are afraid that people uh, or leads spend not, uh, too much time in the pricing table and trying to pick which plan should I use and so on. So in the meantime, we just have one price on the uh, homepage. It's $25 per Instagram account per month. And because we like that people continue in the funnel, that they do the sign up and so on. And if you, for example, we have heat maps uh, with our web analytic tools and you see there's so much going on on the pricing table, they switch back and forth between yearly and monthly comparing the stuff, but that's not what you like. You like that the customer don't spend all the time with the pricing sign in front of your store. You want that they come in to the store and look at your products, try, try them out. 
And that's also, I think, an important thing to do. So make the decision easy for your customer. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, no one wants complicated. I mean, it's difficult enough to choose the the tool that you want to use. And then when you, when you go in and you're like, yeah, I want to use this, I chose you. And then it's like a hundred different plans. And you're like, oh, let's, let's do this again. One, one, one small thing what, what worked really, really well for us, just to add, because it, it's a good insight for it this far. Uh, also, same like good art, artists don't copy, they steal. Like we saw this on Shopify because they, they sell their subscription for $1 for three months. And I saw that on the news site and I was like, crazy. They don't, they say, we don't need your money for like three months because they know it takes a lot of time to build up your online store, right? So you need a lot of time to do that. And you don't want to charge it. Like you want to make it as easy as possible for the person to just hop on your product and really work it into their workflow and, and understanding it, right? And they still do this to this day. And what we copied from them was like just giving a huge discount after you sign up for the first month. It's like 90% discount with a countdown timer even to make give it, give it some urgency and so on. But it increased the revenue like crazy, like really crazy. Not, it didn't double it, but it's like it, it was crazy. So... And this plays into the psychology. Like you don't want to have to pay for something what you don't know what works, right? But you do want to get the credit card information because then you can charge them later. And make, having like $1 or 90% off makes it super easy to get this. And really having also a fair offer, like try it out. But when, it, when you like it and you stay, then we charge you, right? And that is really something everyone should try. Like just giving a heavy, heavy discount for the first two or three months. And then see that the people, because then you can also challenge your onboarding, right? If everything works, do they understand everything? Does the product work? But you got the pricing out of the way. Because as Max okay. said, we saw the heat map was lighting up on our pricing table on our homepage. And we did that because everyone else seemed to do it. But I would, I would say it was kind of stupid because it, it had so much cognitive loads to the whole process, which you can erase just by not talking about the price too much, right? And, and you yeah. have paid a lot of money for acquiring this customer, maybe on Google Ads or whatever. So, and then you really want to, that's, that's a really quick way to optimize your funnel. So make the decision as easy as possible to buy the product. Uh, and I mean, if, if customers don't stay for longer than three months, you have another problem anyways. So. Yeah, that's true. That's a different kind of problem. And we saw this in the data, like, it's not like a personal feeling, like it was like heavy, like it was, I never saw that increase in anything, like a heavy discount upfront. It's perfect. Right. Okay. I feel like you guys are sharing all the gold and I want to stay for another couple of hours here, but we only have a, a few minutes left so that, uh, you can jump on your next meeting. But, uh, there are exactly two questions that I always ask, uh, at the end of the podcast. First one. Uh, what has been so far the biggest win and the biggest failure could be what you feel as a founder, the co-founder, um, or something for business? Yeah. Um, so for me, the biggest win, it's really easy. It's just creating a profitable SaaS business and yeah, we're keeping it alive for over five years. So if you look at the statistic, it's only a 3% chance that you get to the size we are currently in. And yeah, the biggest failure, I mean, I am in kind of wanting to start a startup since 2009. That's a long time. That's uh, way over a decade. So my biggest regret and biggest failure is just not starting early enough and just spending the time with unimportant things uh, and yeah, you should just start, build a product, try to get customers. And I mean, the product will probably not look good and maybe you lose a lot of customers, but you will get better over time. And if you procrastinating and yeah, spending all the years not actually make it real, then you also miss out on all the learnings on the way. Yeah, absolutely. Julian? What about you? In two years, what has been your biggest win? <laughs> I would just emphasize, I would emphasize the last thing. like Because before that, at the other company, I was just uh, doing A-B tests a lot. Uh, 
And I was always happy when the numbers were great. And uh, just having this heavy discount with a countdown up front, this was just perfect because it was really a lot of increase in new revenue from new acquired customers. Yeah. And, and that also plays into like the whole Google ads thing, like just making things profitable. Because when I started here, I wasn't too good in, in Google ads. And now I can comfortably say like, this is the price we pay for a new customer. Give me more money, I bring you more customers, right? So that that gives me as a marketing guy, like a good feeling. Like I, I know in numbers what I do. Like I never do something without any numbers, right? If I change something or so, and, and that's cool. Like, like that's, I think I made my job there. And biggest failure... So far, it's great, but I think also the pricing was giving me the biggest headache. Like it was so much because it was already there, and to this day we're talking about this. I, I don't know. I, I like to put a check mark on things. <laughs> so, and this is still open since I started. So that that feels like it's like a failure. Okay. All right. Let's go with a challenge, not a failure. I mean, you can still check mark it later. Okay. And one more question. Since, you know, we're talking about like Google ads and I know that you raised some funds and, uh, but, but at the same time you did this videos and, and you translated them. So that was a bit of a more, I would say, scrappy technique than, you know, just doing Google ads. So it's kind of a mix. And I think just knowing some of your investors, I would still, again, assume that you're moving towards a more sustainable growth. So how to, how would you recommend, what would be your hack to grow sustainably without breaking the bank? So for me, it would definitely be uh, word of mouth because that's the only acquisition channel which uh, scales quadratic and not uh, linear. So on ads and everything else, you have to pay the same amount of money to get one new customer. Of course, you can optimize this, but in the case of word of mouth, I mean, when it's the ideal situation, you get one new customer, he tells two other people, the two other people tell four people, those eight people, and you get some kind of uh, viral growth. But you also have to pay attention that sometimes word of mouth is also negative. So people didn't like your product and they then share not, the not so good news with their friends and colleagues. And yeah, therefore, the only way to have a good word of mouth is just focus on the product, really make it excellent, make a good doc documentation, good uh, user onboarding, uh, customer support. So be really interested in solving the problems that people are writing you. And yeah, talk with your customers regularly and just try to make them more successful. And even if you are a technical founder, for me, I'm learning a lot of uh, stuff about business uh, in the last few years. Most of the stuff I learned from Alex Omozi, and I can really recommend his YouTube videos and books. He shares all the really valuable business insights for free, and he's making with his wife. We have a 200 million company which do acquisitions, so also investor. And yeah, every time you speak also with your investors and so on, just try to distill the learnings and yeah, kind of buying the other people's mistakes, trying to, to avoid them. I can maybe, like that's a product focus, right? But at the beginning, you need some customers uh, who initially try the product and you can either buy them the first thing you need to think about, like, where do they sit? Like, for example, we don't do anything big on mobile because that's, we could use that for branding, but we are like a SaaS company using in the browser. We, we mainly work on, on, on desktop PCs or laptops, right? Um, so that's why YouTube and Google is great because blogs are, and the YouTube is also something you do there. Um, we, we don't focus on like TikTok or something because that's, you make a video, it goes up and then it goes down. Like, Google and YouTube will give you that search traffic. So it's really worth the effort. Like we still have a lot of views on YouTube, even though we don't upload any videos, right? Or we get blocked. Like I would start SEO like without questions. And I wouldn't focus on like two exotic acquisition channels. Like for example, we tried LinkedIn marketing, uh, like PPC marketing, buying traffic from LinkedIn. And to this day, 
I heard everyone I heard like LinkedIn is super expensive. And yeah, we tried a lot of things and really focused on one channel and, and really because there's so much noise out there and you have to be good at something, right? And I was happy that I was good at YouTube and I could instantly make it work. Like we got subscribers, we got views, people were trying it out. Then I got good on SEO and we did that together. And now it's kind of okay, like we're happy here, right? We can just make more of this. Like I could go out and make shiny object syndrome TikTok videos, but I don't know if they work. But what works, just making another landing page, making a new video, right? And then even if it's boring because it's not new, just do it over and over again. That's how you, like you, you need to find out what works and then just do it over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency matters. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing your your hack. Not really hack, right? But just something that, again, that works. Maybe not be not very glamorous, but, you know, uh, if it yeah. works, it works. It, it can get boring just doing the same over and over again. For example, focusing yeah. on churn customers, like following up with them. It's boring, right? But that's the doing the business. Like just do also the boring stuff. Like it's, yeah. it's not everything is fancy. You just have to focus doing the basics at scale and that's often boring work, but I mean, there's so much distraction nowadays and you should really only improve your product, do more of it, but never do something new like Audio for example. And yeah, just see that you do a lot of volume on this stuff, which is already working because normally we founders are kind of incentivized if you find something that has a product market fit and that you spend years to find this maybe and then you continue your habits to find new stuff and that's the wrong thing then you when you have one thing working focus completely on this one yeah completely agree i mean podcast works i don't necessarily enjoy editing it it's boring, but it works. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. It's been great talking with you. Like I said, I have uh, quite a few more questions, but uh, I guess maybe we can do it again sometime. I would be happy to to have you on the podcast again. Thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, excited to see where you go next. Thanks for having us. Sure. Anytime. And take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.